0: Hey, well, good to see you. You are the ones who stayed in town this weekend. Uh, I didn't know if anyone was going to be here, but you're here. So way to go. That's awesome. I'm glad I came. Uh, anyway, we're going to be going into a time of teaching right now. And inside your program uh, is a message note sheet that help you follow along. And so uh, if you're, uh, you're new, you may not know that. It's a green and white sheet. And so I encourage you to take that out. And then if you guys are all set, uh, I'm ready to go. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here. It's just so good to be in your house, to be worshiping, to be pursuing you in your word. And God, we just thank you for this series, this incredible gospel of Mark and and the way you unfold your life and teaching in a way that changes and impacts ours. So we come today as as followers of Jesus, and we want you to teach us to be uh, how to walk with him, how to be like him, how to be changed. And God, we just pray that just some really challenging topics today. You speak powerfully to our lives and apply it by your spirit and the way it specifically works itself out in each of our lives. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in since the beginning of the year uh, on the Gospel of Mark. And for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome. But i also like to just stop just for a minute or two at the top and kind of bring you up to speed. This series is called Jesus the King. It's a study of the life and teaching of Jesus. As told through the uh, the voice of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus, a man by the name of Mark, uh, he was a close personal friend of the apostle Peter. And so, about thirty-five, thirty, thirty-five years after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Peter is either just been crucified or is about to be crucified, and Mark, his good friend and protege, is going to write down based on Peter's firsthand experiences. Uh, the life and teaching of Jesus. It's been part of the, the teaching of the Christian community uh, since Jesus left. And so we've watched as in Mark chapter 1, Jesus launches his ministry in the northern part of the nation of Israel. It's an area called the Galilee. It, it begins to take off. His message is very uh, straightforward but profound. He says that the kingdom of God that has been long promised for 1,000 years by the prophets in Israel, this time where God is going to come, break into human history, and, and bring a new era into human history of, of righteousness, of peace, of joy, of prosperity. Uh, Messiah is going to come. All wrongs turn to right. That that, that era is breaking in. It's It's very near. And so that Jesus, not only does he make that audacious claim, but he also backs it up by uh, wherever he goes, bringing the power of the coming kingdom into time and space. Wherever he goes, he raises the dead. He's opening the eyes of the blind. He's healing the hearing of the deaf. And so uh, he's casting demons out of people that are demon possessed, and so wherever he goes, it's like a preview of coming attractions. This is the kind of thing when the kingdom comes in power. This is what it's going to look like uh, when 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 uh, all wrongs are turned to right. Well, last week we came to a pivotal moment in this in the message, uh, kind of the movement of Jesus, where in chapter six uh, Jesus calls together his twelve men, his twelve apostles, and he sends them out on their first uh, missionary tour, first preaching tour. And he says, basically, I want you to go out and you've been watching me. I want you to do what I've been doing. I want you to go out and share the message of the kingdom. The kingdom is near. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to uh, set people free from demonic oppression and just kind of do what I've been doing. But right in the middle of that account, and I pointed this out last week, right in the middle of that account of them going out, uh, Mark stops the story, much like a TV series will do today. Most TV dramas do this today. They get you going in on one direction and right at the high point, you're wondering what's going to happen. They stop. The camera scene switches. You go to a different scene. And so Mark often does that. So he switches, stops that story, goes to a new story. And it's a very different story. It's the account of the arrest and the execution of John the Baptist. Now, if you've been here since the beginning of the series, you know it's been a long time since we've heard of John the Baptist. Uh, If you were here at the beginning, you remember that the story of Jesus really starts not with Jesus, but with the coming of John, that God had promised to Israel that one day when the the kingdom of God came, that before it came, he would send a great messenger in the spirit and power of Elijah, and that this, this, this messenger would come, prepare the way for the coming of the great king and the coming of the kingdom. And so the story of Jesus starts with the coming of John. You remember he was sort of a wild man. He lives out in the wilderness. He, is, uh, he wears animal skins for clothing. He eats uh, locusts and, and, and honey. He's calling the nation to come under God's leadership again, to repent and to come down and show they're serious about pursuing God by being baptized in the Jordan. It's sort of a way to get ready for the kingdom to launch. Immensely popular, right? And so that's how it starts. He's there when Jesus comes at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus comes baptized. God speaks from heaven. This is my son, identifies him as Messiah. Holy Spirit comes on Jesus. And so then Jesus launches his ministry. But right about that time, John is arrested. At the time, we're not told who arrests him or why he's arrested. He's just told that he's arrested. We haven't heard of him for five chapters. And so now today, Mark's going to break in this story of the spreading of the kingdom, the 12 apostles going out, this tremendous success, by inserting this story, camera pans, to this new scene, the arrest and execution of John. And of course, the question is, why is Mark inserting this account here? Like, Like, how does it fit with the story that we're cutting into the middle of? And so today we're going to be looking at that, but before we jump in, this is one of those places where well, we're very fortunate because secular history intersects biblical history. And I love that when that happens. We can go to secular sources and see them talking about the same, the same events the Bible describes. Uh, for those of you who've been with this series, you know that one, we've talked about this very famous historian in the first century, a Jewish man who came under Roman rule, became a Roman. His name was Flavius Josephus. He writes an extensive history of the nation of Israel and especially the first century Israel. And so uh, he actually writes about John the Baptist, and, and, and he gives us some great insight into who arrested John and why he was arrested. And basically what he says is that when John came, that John was immensely popular, the nation was flowing out to him to be, uh, to be baptized, and that John's message was about the kingdom of God, just like we, we've talked about. And remember, in ancient Israel, at the time of Jesus and John the Baptist, when you talked about the kingdom of God coming, people saw that as a military, a militaristic kingdom. That when, they, when they talk about the kingdom of God, they talk about Yahweh breaking in the time and space, about this great King David that would, from the line of David that would arise. He would drive out uh, Israel's enemies. Israel again would become an international power. They'd become free again, it'd be a time of prosperity. So in the time of Jesus to talk about the kingdom conjured up images of military revolt, see? And so when John the Baptist came, he's extremely popular. He's out in the wilderness, which which is where these revolts against Rome would usually start. And his message is the kingdom of God is near. Josephus tells us that Herod, who is the king over that area, is getting very nervous about a revolt. And so the reason he arrests John is because he's afraid of a public uprising, you see? And he then imprisons him in a particular uh, castle fortress called Machaerus, which means sword, which is on the east side of the Jordan River down near the Sea of Galilee. And I want to give you a sense of the history of this. So there in your note sheet, I put a quote from Josephus. And so this is from uh, Josephus himself, his book, The Antiquities of the Jews. And he says, John was a good man, and he commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, in other words, to be righteous, both as to righteousness towards one another and piety towards God, and so to come to baptism. And so, now when many others came in crowds about him, so he's very popular, they were greatly moved by hearing his words. Herod, who feared lest the great influence John had over the people might put it into his power and inclination to raise a rebellion, or words, against Herod and Rome, for they seemed ready to do anything that he should advise. Herod thought it best by putting him to death to prevent any mischief he might cause, and accordingly he was sent a prisoner out of Herod's suspicious temper to Machaerus, the castle i before mentioned, and was put there put to death. And so, so uh, Josephus gives his historical account of why Herod saw John as a threat preaching the kingdom, why he arrested him and executed him. But today we're going to learn from Mark's account there was actually more to the story. Not that this wasn't true, this was all true, but there was more to the story. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Mark chapter 6, uh, and there in your note sheet there's a section called John's Journey, What's the Story?, we're going to go over the story of John, what happened in his life, and then we're going to come back and we're going to ask this question: uh, Why is John inserting, uh, why is Mark inserting the story of John, his arrest and execution, at this point of the story of the movement of Jesus, where it's expanding, going crazy, crowds are coming, things are going great? Why change the mood with this downer, with this downer story of the arrest and execution of John, who is the first messenger of the kingdom of God? So. Uh, in your Bibles, chapter 6, and we'll pick it up at verse 14. So King Herod heard about this. So the question is, heard about what? And the answer is the mission of the 12. Remember last week we saw that Jesus takes his men, two by two, sends him out to share the message of the kingdom, heal the sick, uh, set people free from demonic oppression, uh, they are, they're having great success. And remember, this is all happening in Herod's territory, in Galilee, right? Remember, he had just arrested, not that long before, John for preaching, what? The kingdom of God. A- and for, he's afraid of a public uprising. Now, this new guy comes along, Jesus, and he's already taken out John out of play. Same, kind of same message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Oh, no, here we go again. And so he hears about Jesus. For instance, for Jesus name had become well known. And uh, some were saying, so out on the streets, there was a lot of different opinions about Jesus. Uh, everyone was trying to figure out who Jesus is. Jesus didn't identify himself as the Messiah. No one had used that name for him yet. So everyone's was trying to figure out, everyone's got a theory. One theory is that uh, John the Baptist, who we'll learn, has been executed by this point. One theory is that John the Baptist is somehow coming back from the dead, like reincarnated as Jesus, or that at least the spirit of John has been passed on to Jesus, and now there's even miracles happening. Uh, other theories are that uh, he was, this was the second coming of Elijah. Uh, remember in the Old Testament, Elijah was the one man who didn't die, or one of the two men who didn't die. Uh, he was taken up into heaven on a fiery chariot, and the prophet Malachi had predicted that before the, the coming of the kingdom of God, that Elijah would return to prepare, right? So, so some thought, well, I think who this new guy is, I think he's Elijah coming to get ready for the kingdom. Others thought he was one of the other prophets, like Jeremiah or so on. So there's word on the street. Everyone's trying to figure this out. But Herod, who we're going to learn, has executed John. He's kind of paranoid. I think this is John. He's coming back to get me, all right? So here we go. So... Uh, some were saying, uh, in verse middle of verse 14, that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah. Still, others claim, no, he's a prophet. He's like one of the prophets of long ago. So everyone's trying to figure out Jesus. But when Herod hears this, he's kind of freaking out. He says, John, the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. And so now, now we're learning that uh, Herod is the man who arrested John. Uh, back in chapter 1, we didn't know that. And we're also learning that he not only arrested him, but he had him executed, he had him beheaded. And so Mark says, for Herod himself, verse 17, had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. And he did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, right? Now, Josephus fills in the details. Here's what had happened. In this account today, there are two Herods and their brothers, Herod number one is Herod Antipas. This is the Herod who arrested John the Baptist, rules in Galilee. There's a second Herod. It's his brother. His name is Herod Philip. He rules in the area north of Herod Antipas. Herod Philip is married to a woman named Herodias. Seriously? Can we just call her Gladys to make this easier? Uh, Anyway, so Gladys, no, uh, so anyway, so, so Herod Antipas, ruler over Galilee, arrestor of John the Baptist, he goes to Rome, and he has got a, he got a house in Rome, and these rulers would often do that, go hang out with the emperor to keep their ties strong. So he's hanging out in Rome, and his brother Herod Philip and his wife Herodias, they travel to Rome to visit the emperor, and while they're there, they stay with brother Herod Antipas, right? While they're there, Herod Antipas has an affair with Herodias, Some of you probably saw this on Lifetime TV. But uh, anyway, so, so they have an affair, right? They decide to ditch their spouses and to get married. All right, so, so now Herod Antipas and his new wife Herodias, they move back, it worked out well because the name was the same. They move back, uh, well, to, they, they move back to Galilee, right? They get back into town, into the, the castle there or whatever, and John the Baptist, remember, he's still out, and remember, Herod Antipas is already afraid of him. He's got this big following. He's afraid that there's gonna be a military coup. He's already a thorn in his side. This prophet begins to call out Herod Antipas. Because in the Old Testament, there were some laws about marriages, just like we have today, like incest laws. And it was illegal in the Old Testament, according to Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, it was illegal to marry your brother's wife, unless your brother was dead. Right? And so, so John the Baptist, this thorn in his sight, begins to call out Herod. And he to say, hey, what? this is illegal. This marriage never should have happened. This was wrong. So now he's got this, you know, Herod's got this, leader of this huge movement, Kingdom of God movement, people who are extremely popular, uh, undercutting his rule as the king, saying he shouldn't be, he's he's a bad king. And so he decides he needs to do something. So he arrests John the Baptist to get him off the streets, right? Now he's happy with this. He, He doesn't really want to kill John. He likes John. In fact, he finds him fascinating. In fact, as we're going to see in a little bit, uh, he would, from time to time, get John out of his cell, bring him in, do some teaching. You know, they didn't have the entertainment channel or whatever. So they would just like listen to John teach. He found him fascinating. He didn't realize he'd get his teaching, but it was interesting, kind of liked him. But his wife, on the other hand, Herodias, she hates John. <laughs> 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 he doesn't like us. You know, he's undercutting us. He says we shouldn't be married. <laughs> So she wants him to take him out. She wants to take him out, right? But of course, Herod's protecting, right? Protecting him, so she can't get to him. So let's see what happens. So in verse 18, so John had been saying to Herod, hey, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, man, it's not really cool. And so verse 19, so Herodias, the the wife, new wife, she nurses a grudge against John. She wants to kill it. Uh, She wasn't able to because Herod feared John. He was kind of, you know, he's like, John is a righteous man, and, and Herod knows what he's doing is wrong, and he's just kind of like, oh, I better not mess with God's man, that kind of thing. So, uh, so, so uh, Herod feared John, protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. But when Herod heard John, he he was greatly puzzled. You know, he'd get him out, listen to him, but he liked to listen to it. Okay. So, so finally, uh, verse twenty, when the opportune time comes, it's this moment that Herodias has been waiting for, and it's going to be his birthday, and. Uh, In the Greek, it's hard to tell whether it's either his birthday or his ascension day, the day that you celebrate the anniversary of his ascension as the tetrarch, the king of the area. But uh, anyway, he's going to throw out this big party, and it's going to be like a who's who of Galilee. Top military leaders, political leaders, financial leaders, red carpet event, uh, hard to get a ticket in. And so he's got this huge party, and it's a party for alpha males, all right? So in that day... Um, like when you have a party like this, you don't have women there, at least not high-class women. You may have low-class women, you may have some prostitutes, but you know, this is kind of a men's only club sort of thing, right? Feasting, drinking, alpha males, you you can picture this, right? And so right in the middle is something really strange happening, something that's totally out of step with their culture, is that um, his stepdaughter comes in, now, remember, this is the daughter of his new wife. So the stepdaughter comes in. But remember, it's also his niece. Uh, uh, so she comes in. Uh, no way women should be in this meeting. And she comes in, and she dances for them. Now, I want you to picture this. Alpha males, a lot of drinking, a lot of eating. Mark doesn't go into details. It's just an erotic dance. Is this a provocative dance? We don't know, but, but whatever she does, they like it. And so here we go. So verse 21, finally the opportune time comes, and on his birthday, Herod gives a banquet for his high officials, his military commanders, leading men of Galilee, and when the daughter of Herodias comes in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. So he's now probably had too much to drink. He's acting big, powerful. He's with all his buddies, his top cronies, and so he says to the girl, he just makes this outrageous promise, he says, look, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you, I'm the king, I'm the big shot, I can do whatever you want, and, uh, and so he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom, which was sort of an uh, exaggerated say, way of saying just whatever you want, because he can't really have half the kingdom, he gets the kingdom from Rome, he doesn't have the authority to give half it away, but, but it's just sort of a way of being very pompous, and so... Uh, it almost looks like a setup because she's going to go out now and she says to her mother, remember, mom's not there. Herodias is not there. Women aren't in this meeting, right? So mom's outside. She goes out to mom and she says, hey, what should I ask for? He just kind of gave me the gold card to the kingdom, uh, really the black card. But anyway, the black card to the kingdom. And so uh, what, what should I ask for? And the mom is all set. She says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Now, We're going to just need to stop and picture this, right? This sounds like uh, an R-rated movie that's uh, a feud between two rival drug lords with one wife who's got a vendetta, right? This is sort of like um, horse's head in the bed moment, (laughs) And so she's want the head, and so the daughter maybe the daughter's in on this because um, she doesn't seem to be like shocked. It's like, like yes, your mom. What should I get? I want this person's head. Like, don't you think that you're like what? You know. But uh, she's like, oh, good, sounds good to me. Good, I'll go. So, uh, so at once the girl hurries into the king with the request and says, hey, I want you to give me right now, uh, no delay, uh, head John the Baptist on a platter. And so the king now he's over a barrel, right? He. He likes this guy. He's been protecting this guy. But his wife has outmaneuvered him. Uh, And now he's going to lose face from his top people. uh, And so he's over a barrel. And so he capitulates. And the king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths, his dinner guests, he doesn't want to refuse her. And so he immediately sends the executioner with orders to bring John's head. And the man goes. He beheads uh, John in prison. He brings back the head on the platter. Now we need to picture this. Remember who John is. John's a prophet. John lives in the wilderness. John uh, wears animal skins for clothing. Yeah, John's not metro, right? <laughs> and these guys have like hair out to here, his beard probably coming down to his waist. I mean, the guy's probably hairy. He's just like, like, this is a wild man, right? He eats locusts. I'm sure he's not getting the best hygiene in prison. And so I want you to picture this. This, I mean everyone, she she asked for this. I'm sure everyone in the, in the room, I mean everyone knows who John is. Like everyone knows. And they're like, ooh, you know. People who are kind of drunk are like, ooh, start to sober up. <laughs> and when that door opens. And the executioner comes in silver platter. I want you to picture this. That bearded, long-haired head, the stump of a neck, and the, the platter filled with blood. Right? It, this is like, what is this, like Game of Thrones? Or, it's like horrible. It's like awful. This is like, this is like so brutal. I want you to catch this. This is how the story ends for the first messenger who said the kingdom of God is near. And so the question is, why would Mark choose this point to have the, the camera scene change to this story? So it goes on. And so... In verse twenty nine, on hearing she she comes in, she presents the, they present it to the girl. She gives it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples they, they hear about, it, they come, they they take his body. Remember, it's his corpse now, without a head, headless corpse. They they take it out and they, they bury it. They lay it in a tomb. And so, so, so Mark. Right. We, we're in story number one, the 12 are going out, they're, they're heading out, they're healing the sick, they're preaching the kingdom, they're, they're, they're freeing people from demonic oppression, the kingdom is advancing, the kingdom is growing. Uh, oh, stop, let's stop that story, let's pan to this story, this tragic story of John the Baptist, and now, okay, that story ends, let's pan back to the original story, and here we go back in verse thirty. And so the apostles, now they're gathering around Jesus. They're coming back from this journey and they're reporting to him all that he'd done and taught. And we talked to this last week. They're sitting around the campfire. They're they're making s'mores. They're a great story. The music changes. Uh, it's exciting. Kingdom advancing. Kids are getting healed. Demoniacs are getting free. People are excited about Jesus. They're coming in droves. They're taking tour buses. Everything's going really well. They get to verse 31. Because so many people were coming and going to see Jesus that he didn't have a chance to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get away. Let's get some rest, some R&R. And so, so are you, are you, are you are you with me? Are you picking up the this, this storyline? It's like kingdom of God advancing, people getting healed, people coming from miles and miles around. Can't wait to see Jesus' kingdom going crazy. It's standing room only. This kingdom is awesome. Like, come over here. Butchering of John the Baptist. Right end of story. Come come back. Music changes. Whoa, sitting on the campfire. Are you with me? Like like why? Why is Mark, including the story of the arrest and execution of Jesus, why is he inserting it here at this time where the kingdom's going crazy and expanding? There in your note sheet, there's a section called John's Journey, What's the Lesson? And we're actually going to do a couple things today. You know, this week, I was kind of wrestling with this all week. There were really two points I wanted to highlight this week, but I didn't think I was going to have enough time. And so I ended up just settling on one point. You see it there in your note sheet. Um, but I woke up Friday, and something just didn't feel quite right. And Saturday, I was praying about it. I just really felt like God was like, no, you need to put the next, that point back in. So, so we're going to redo our note sheet today. Uh, so what I want you to do is, is where you see that first bullet, I want you to scratch through the bullet and put just number one. That's going to be point number one. We're going to add a point later on, so you're going to get a bonus just for coming today. All right, here we go. Uh, the, the first thing, the question is, why Why is Mark, including this story, why is he telling it here in the midst of this other story? And, and I think the first point goes like this, that the reason is he wants us to understand this kingdom this kingdom of Jesus, this kingdom of God, that we're all invited to become followers of Jesus, this kingdom is dangerous. That this kingdom that you and I are invited, it's a dangerous kingdom. You know, several years ago, I came across a book that was written by uh, a man that was written, a pastor who's living in uh, British Columbia, which is in Canada, and uh, and uh, I never read the book, but I love the title. Um, it's pretty awesome when you can quote a book you never read, but, uh, but his, his name's Mark Buchanan. I've heard great things about the book, just never read the book. Uh, but the name of the book is Your God is Too Safe. I love that. I think Mark would agree with that. I think Jesus would agree with that. And, and right here, while we're still kind of getting going in the, in the first half of the, of the Gospel of Mark, what we're going to see is that Mark wants us to understand, in the midst of this kingdom expansion, that this kingdom that we become a part of, when we become followers of Jesus, man, it's a lot of things. It is a kingdom of new life, isn't it? When you come to Jesus, he changes your life. It's a kingdom of the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom that when you come to Jesus, he puts his spirit in your life. It's a kingdom of forgiveness. It doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've done. If you want to be made right with God, you want a new life, that you can have it through Jesus, this kingdom. This is a kingdom of transformation. It's a kingdom of power. It's a, it's a kingdom of uh, uh, God's working and leading your life. He'll change your life. It's a kingdom of all these things. But there's one thing that this kingdom is not. It is not a safe kingdom. And Mark wants us to understand, right in the middle, beginning of the story, while the kingdom is expanding and growing, he wants us to know that, that this kingdom, that you become part, it's a dangerous kingdom. And if you sign up to follow Jesus, you have to be ready for that. And, and this will become more and more, kind of a, as we go further and further into Mark, it becomes more and more of his passion to share this with us. And so, for example, when we get to chapter 8, uh, we come to this passage of Jesus. Chapter 8, it's there on your note sheet. And Jesus says, very famous passage, he says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, anyone wants to be part of my kingdom, uh, he must what? Okay, deny himself. Circle that. He must deny himself. He says, if you're going to follow me, there's going to be times where you're going to have to do what you don't want to do. And he said, and then secondly, he's going to have to take up his What? his cross and follow me. Now catch this. When, when Jesus is saying this, when Mark is writing this, uh, they're not like making posters of this verse and putting them on the wall on the way to the bathroom. Right? Now I, want, I want you to take it back in time. When, when, when Mark is writing this, the year is 60, 65 AD. It's about 30, 35 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He's writing it to Christians in Rome, the center of of the Roman Empire, and they're beginning to experience the first imperial-backed persecution, systematic persecution of Christ's followers. So when Mark writes this, Christians are being arrested by Caesar Nero. When he writes this, they're being thrown into prison. When, When the rest of their families are being torn apart, they're being sent to the salt mines. When he, when he writes this, Christians are being thrown to wild animals to be torn apart. Uh, they're being uh, uh, beheaded. They're being dipped in oil and lit on fire for Syro's tor- uh, 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 banquet, And they're being crucified. In fact, the apostle Peter, who is the source behind Mark, either right before Mark was written or right after Mark, it's right in that time, he was arrested by Caesar Nero and he was crucified. And so, when Mark writes this gospel and shares these sayings of Jesus, we need to remember who he's writing to and what they're experiencing. So, when he writes and says, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me and must deny himself and take up his cross, this is not metaphor, this is not hyperbole. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, this is a violent kingdom, it's a dangerous kingdom. It's an amazing kingdom. I will change your life. I will give you life indeed, but it's going to cost you. You need to to know that right up front. You need to be ready for this. It's not a safe kingdom. And so he says, if anyone would would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, uh, like John the Baptist, will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, that's his name for himself, will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. And so Jesus says, hey, if you're going to follow me, you need to understand what you're signing up for. My kingdom is a lot of things, but one thing it isn't is safe. If you're, you're going to follow me, you need to be ready to deny yourself. You need to be ready to take up your cross because I'm telling you, there's going to come a time, there may come a place, you're going to have to take a choice that may cost you something, and you need to be ready then to pay that price. My kingdom's a lot of things, but it's not a safe kingdom. And so right here, in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, as the movement of Jesus is spreading like crazy, The 12 apostles are going out sharing the message of Jesus. People are being healed. Demoniacs are being set free. The kingdom of God is being preached. It's a high time of popularity. Mark says, time out, let's stop that story. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Let me tell you what happened to the first kingdom, the first messenger of the kingdom of God. Now, now what, what is the message the 12 apostles are preaching? Hey, the kingdom of God is near. What was John's message that got him arrested? Oh, the kingdom of God is near. Oh, where are they preaching this message? In Galilee, where Herod rules. Who arrested John? Herod or threats this kingdom. And what Mark is doing is he's helping to, us to understand that while the kingdom is increasing by leaps and bounds, there are some ominous clouds on the horizon. You see? And, and what he's, he's preparing, and I'm telling you, scholars will all agree with this. The reason Mark inserts this story here is because it's a preview of or foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the end of this story about Jesus. That what happened to the first messenger of the kingdom is going to happen to the second messenger of the kingdom. And there's a lot of parallels between the arrest and execution of John and the arrest and execution of Jesus. They're, They're both going to be arrested illegally on false charges. They're both going to be arrested for preaching the kingdom of God do you remember, the, marks the reason Jesus was executed was for the charge of treason against Rome. He was claimed to be a king. Same deal. They, they were both imprisoned falsely. They were both executed by men who didn't want to put them to death. Herod didn't want to put John to death. Pilate didn't want to put Jesus to death. They were both manipulated in the situation. And in both situations, it's their disciples who came and got the bodies and buried them afterwards. See, scholars would agree that the story of John the Baptist is a precursor preparing us for what's going to happen to the second messenger of the kingdom, Jesus, you see. And so right here at the beginning, Mark wants us to understand that if we're going to follow Jesus, that there's a price that we need to be willing to pay. And so Jesus actually talks about this. In Matthew chapter 11, this is while John was still in prison. He hadn't been executed yet. Some people come to talk to him about John. And here's what he says. There in your note sheet, I put it in Matthew chapter 11. And this is from the New Living Translation. This is what he says. He says, um, from the time, of John the, the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. And we've seen both sides, haven't we? So John comes. The kingdom is, is forcefully advancing. Isn't it? Thousands of people are going out to the Jordan River to be baptized. Jesus shows up. Uh, his movement begins to explode. People are coming from even outside the country to meet Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, to, to listen to him teach. The kingdom is forcefully advancing. And yet at the same time, there are these violent men that are opposing it. And we've seen it from day one. Chapter one, John is arrested. Chapter two, Jesus begins to have conflict with the religious leaders. Chapter three, they begin to plot his death. End of chapter three, they begin to accuse him of being empowered by Satan. Chapter three, his own family comes, thinks he's having a mental breakdown. Chapter six, he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. They run him out of town on a rail and try to kill it. Chapter six, John the Baptist is arrested and executed. And then at the end of the story, the king is going to be arrested and executed. You see, Jesus says, this is the way it is. This kingdom I've called you to is a kingdom of violence. And just so you catch this, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about violence from us towards others. I'm not talking crusades. But this kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of violence. That there's a a violence that comes against it. Wherever the kingdom of Jesus goes, there'll be violence that comes against it. But it's also a violence within because if we're going to be willing to follow Jesus, it requires a violence of spirit on our part that we have to be willing to deny ourselves. We have to be willing to take up our cross. Th- think with me in the New Testament. Think of the violent teaching of Jesus. We, we often miss this. Remember when Jesus said, if your right eye leads you into sin, what are you supposed to do? It Gouge it out. Is that violent or not? <laughs> uh, if your right hand is getting you into trouble, what do you do? Cut it off. Cut it off. Get, the, get the chainsaw off. I mean, is that, is that not violent? Language. Think, think of the New Testament. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. And I Is that, is that on violent language? You think of Romans 8. If you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. You see, there's a violence against the kingdom. There's a violence required to enter the kingdom. It's a violence to our old life. It's a violence towards sin. It's a ruthlessness. That whatever it costs, whatever it takes... I will deal with it. I will put it to death in order that I might rise with Christ to this new life. And catch this. Only those who are willing to die with Christ will rise with him. Right? It's as we die that the power of God is released. And we rise to this new, new life. You know, it's, it's, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Peter once asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, we've left everything for you, so what's in it for us? And, and Jesus said, let me, tell you, anyone who leaves his mother or father, father or brother or f- houses or farms or, or, or whatever it is, he says, for, for my sake and the kingdom, they'll receive a hundred times in this life. And in the next life, eternal life, along with persecution. He says, it will be worth it, but you have to be willing to die. You've got to be willing to, 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 cut, to cut loose. And so, so in our life, there are times, men and women, there are times when Jesus will come and call you to follow him. And by following him, it will feel like you are surrendering your very life. There are times when Jesus calls you to put together a, a certain sin or a certain relationship or a certain something that's right and not right, and you'll feel like if I, it will kill me to do this. And if I, if I give this up, if I surrender this, I will lose my very self. And Jesus says, exactly. And you will rise with me with a new self. You see, only those who die with Jesus rise with Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so, so look, let's look at another kind of violent thing that Jesus says. Matthew chapter 10, there in your note sheet. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn, and here he quotes from Micah 7, I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Know what he's saying? He's saying, when you follow me, there's going to be some who are excited about that. There's going to be some who are going to hate that. And sometimes the people that hate that are going to be the people closest to you. In fact, they may even be in your own family. May be, so, so if you follow me, you have to understand that it's not, it's not always going to lead to peace. It's often going to lead to a violence, not, not a violence from your heart, a violence towards others, towards you. And then he goes on and he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Why? Because there's times you may have to decide whether to follow Jesus or your mother. You see? He says, if you choose your mother over me, you're not worthy of me. He says, there's times he says, anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There's times where you may have to choose between following Jesus and your son or your daughter and what they want you to do. he says, if you choose your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. And he says, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me, ready to die, is not worthy. And then catch what he says, whoever finds his life will what? lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, it's it's when we die, then we rise. And you know this is true, right? You know, like in your life, think back to the hardest decisions that you ever made to be obedient to Jesus. Think back those times. Think how it killed you. Think how you struggled over that. Think how you wrestled with that. How hard it was to surrender to Jesus. And the moment you did, what happened? There was new life. You changed. At the core of your being, you changed. You were set free in new ways. There was a new movement of God. There was a new freedom of spirit. You became more of who you're supposed to be. It's the way it works. And if we're going to follow Jesus, there's times we have to be ruthless with ourselves. We have to be ruthless. We have to grab our old life by the neck and kill it. We have to put to death the deeds of the flesh if we're going to rise with Jesus. And so many times in this country, as you look at the state of the church in America, you wonder why is it so anemic is because we think we can follow Jesus without following Jesus. And so one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world, and we think. We think we can follow Jesus with impure lives. We think we can follow Jesus while money is still our God. We think we can follow Jesus where there are other people in our life that are more important to us than He is. We think we can follow Jesus by living lives of flat out disobedience. And Jesus says, No, you can't. You can't. You have to decide. It's a violent kingdom. Someone's going to die. Someone's got to die. And that someone is you. And if you don't die, you can't rise. But if you die, you will rise to a life that's not only everlasting, it's unbelievable. You know, there's a famous pastor in World War II, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was uh, during the, the Nazi rise, most Christians kind of capitulated, went politically correct, so the churches wouldn't be persecuted under Hitler. He was one of the few that stood up and said no. In fact, he became part of a conspiracy attempt to take out Hitler, about 20 people, towards the end of World War II. It was just getting so evil, the, the killing of the Jews, just the gypsies. It was so evil, he just felt like that he needed to, to take him out. He became part of this movement. That movement was, was discovered, and so he was thrown in prison. Shortly before the Allied forces invaded Germany to liberate, uh, liberate uh, Germany, uh, shortly before that, um, he was executed. He was hung for, for this. We have letters of his from prison. He's an amazing man. He wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship about what is the cost of following Jesus. And in that book, there's, there's a great quote, and I put it there on your note sheet. And it goes like this. "Is that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. When Christ calls a man, when Christ calls a woman, invites them. Come and die. Come and die. It's a message of Jesus. It's a message of baptism. So baptism's all around. Baptism is follow me, die with me, rise with me. This is not like peripheral. This is core Christianity. Like Christianity 101. If any man, is that leaving us? If any man would follow me, does that that leave anyone out? Anyone would follow me. That pretty much takes us all in. He must, does that, does that sound like an option? He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so this life that he's called to live, that's 100 times life. He says to Peter, "If whatever you give up, you're going to get back blessed 100 times over. That life is only for those who will be violent towards their old life. It's not a safe kingdom. Number two. The second, this is a bonus point, the the kingdom is bigger. So the kingdom is not only dangerous, the kingdom is bigger. In other words, that Jesus' vision for your life, my life, his kingdom is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. You know, so far today we've talked about John and what John's experience was. Um, And we've, we've really talked at it uh, about it as an outsider looking in we, we've we've stood up like at the outside watched his show watch him get executed what do we learn from that it's an outside perspective I want you to step with me for a moment into John's shoes let's see it from the inside John shows up John is called to be a messenger of the kingdom God calls him clearly gives him his message John says the kingdom of God is near like everyone else in Israel he thought he knew what that meant He he thought that meant that when Messiah came, Rome kicked out, Uh, the nation of Israel goes back to a place of international prominence, a time of peace and safety for Israel, uh, a time of national repentance. He thought he understood. So when Jesus came to be baptized and the spirit comes upon him and the heavens open up and God speaks, this is my son. Uh, John says, this is the guy, right, we're, 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 we're ready for the kingdom. The kingdom is near, right? And so I'm sure that John, like everyone else, he expected this, this kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy to start any day. And then all of a sudden, he gets arrested. Well, what's wrong with this story? Uh, the bad guys are still witty. This is not the kingdom, right? So, so now he's in his cell block, right? with this evil king, Herod. And I'm sure he's thinking, well, you know, maybe we just need to give Jesus a little bit of time to unfold his kingdom. He's probably got to gather his leaders. He's got to gather some few thousand warriors out in the wilderness. He's got to get his name out there. It's going to take a little while, but, uh, but I'm sure it's going to kick into gear. That as the days pass into weeks, the weeks pass into months, John is getting more and more confused. And he's beginning to wonder, did, did, did I miss it here? Because this is, not, this is not like the kingdom of God that I was expecting. And, and so if, if Jesus is, is, you know, if he's the king, this doesn't really make sense how this is. Maybe, he's the, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe he's not the right guy. Maybe I missed the whole thing. And so we're told in Luke 7. In fact, we're not going to turn there. But I want you to write these verses down. Luke 7, 18 to 23. Luke 7, 18 and 23. So we're told in Luke 7 that John sends a, some messengers to Jesus. And, and when they get there, their question is, are you the one we were looking for or have we, is there someone else? Subtitle, because it sure isn't very impressive. <laughs> I'm hoping there's someone else. And so Jesus, of course, he he understands John. He, he gets while he thinks this, he gets while he's not understanding what's going on. it's, it's different than everyone thought. And so, so Jesus says, hey, listen, uh, you've been here for a while. You guys, you've seen what's going on. The lame are being healed. The, uh, the blind are seeing. The deaf have their, he- their hearing restored. Uh, those lepers are being, re- you, you're seeing what God says. These are all prophecies from the Old Testament about the coming of the kingdom. And so obviously the kingdom is coming. So would you go back to John and give him this message from me? He says, blessed is the man who does not stumble over me. Uh, bless this man who doesn't trip over me because your vision for me, your vision for the kingdom is different than what's happening. Uh, 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 Blessed, doesn't get tripped up over that. He doesn't give up on me, doesn't give up on the kingdom, right? And men and women, this can happen in our lives too. You know, when you came to Jesus and you became part of his kingdom, I'm sure you had a vision for, for what it meant to be part of the kingdom of Jesus, to have Jesus as your king. And you may not have spelled that all out, but I'm sure you had certain unwritten assumptions. Probably you didn't expect, if you, if you party here at Rocky Peak for any length of time, you probably didn't expect life would be perfect. You probably didn't expect that you would get super rich. You, you didn't expect necessarily that, that uh, you would never go through hard times. You didn't expect that, but, but you expected a certain level of protection, didn't you? you? You expected Jesus is your king, and he's over your life, and the Spirit's in you, and, and you pray for things. You, you expect a certain level of protection, You expect a certain level of blessing. You expect a certain level of his presence in your life, right? A certain level of prosperity. You have certain expectations, like John did, of what the kingdom of God is going to be like when you're following the king. And then all of a sudden, one day you turn a corner and like John, you get arrested. And you're thrown into prison. It's not a prison like John's. Maybe it's a prison of of bad health. All of a sudden, you lose your health. Maybe it's a prison of your your job. You lose your job. You can't find another one month after month. And then you lose your home and you're looking at homelessness. Maybe it's you're married and you you married a a fellow believer and, and now they've left you for another woman or another man. And you just never saw that coming. As a follower of Jesus, you just never thought that would never happen to me. Or you got married and you had plans for a big family and all you've ever wanted to do is be a mom. And that's been your, the passion of your life and now you're five, six years in, you've done, spent thousands and thousands of dollars and you can't get pregnant, you can't figure out what's going on and, and you and your husband have done everything you can and your life is flashing before your eyes. You're a single person and you didn't, you didn't sign a contract with Jesus that, that he would automatically provide you with a godly husband or a godly wife when, when you followed him, that he would provide, would you just kind of assume that that would happen? If you followed Jesus, the kingdom would come. He would bring someone who loved Jesus. You could share your life and serve him the rest of your life. And, and now you're getting older and older with each passing year. And, and each uh, kind of e-harmony situation doesn't work out. And, and it's like you're getting more and more depressed. and you, It's like, what is going on here? Like this is the kingdom of Jesus. You have a child. That child is born with deformities or birth defects. You have teenagers, and they're off the resurrection. And you've raised them to love Jesus, and they now have cursed Jesus. You're struggling with a particular sin or desire in your life. You you have a you're, you're a Christian. You love Jesus, but you're you have a same-sex attraction to other people, and you've asked God to take that away, and He's not taking it away. It's just prison of your own body that you can't figure out how to conquer that. You're going into retirement. You prepared your whole life for this. You you had it all saved up, you had your stocks, you had your mutual funds, and then the, the, the market tanked, and now you're back there, I have to get a second job again, and your, your health is failing, you're entering in your older age, your body is falling apart, everything within you wants to die and go and be with Jesus, and you're just praying, God, release me from this body, and yet he won't release you, and your life has become humiliating. And you're in this prison, and you are like John saying, I thought you were the one I thought when you came the kingdom, I didn't expect life to be perfect, but I didn't expect this. And at those times, men and women, our faith, like John's, is shaken to the core. And we begin to wonder, like he did, is he the one? Did I back the right horse? Am I on the right path? And in those times, we need to do what John did. We need to go to Jesus, and we need to to be incredibly honest, say, are you the one, or have I wasted my life? And we need to listen as Jesus walks us back through our life and reminds us of all the times he's been there and all he's already done. You see, Jesus' vision for the kingdom was so much bigger than John's. His vision for John's life was so much bigger than John. But John couldn't understand it. Have you ever tried to explain sex to a first grader? You know those awkward questions? Like, they just don't have the context. Uh, go ask your mother. You know, uh, There was no way John could understand what Jesus and his kingdom was up to. Just imagine how blown away John would have been if he hadn't died now and he watched Jesus get arrested and executed. There was no way he could understand. See, Jesus' vision of the kingdom was so much bigger than John's. John's vision was for the nation of Israel to be restored. Jesus' vision was the whole cosmos restored. John's vision was freedom from Rome. Jesus' vision was freedom from death. You see? See, John's vision was freedom from our enemies temporarily. Jesus' vision was freedom for all of creation. Right? Jesus came to turn all wrong. His vision for the king was so much bigger than John's. There's no way John could have understood that. And and Jesus' vision for John's life was so much bigger. John had to go. He had to go because even at the time, there were disciples of John and disciples of Jesus. Did you see that in the next day? That he was a distraction. Even as we move out in the New Testament, there's still people who are following John the Baptist instead of Jesus. Like for Jesus' kingdom to expand, John had to go. And there there would come a day when John would understand it, but it was not that day. It was not the day when they opened up his cell doors and they laid his head down on the block. It was not that day. You see, John wouldn't understand his story or God's story until Jesus came back with the power of angels and glory. And when that happened, it would all make sense. And John would understand it in a place. It would all make sense. Men and women, in your life and my life, God is writing a story. Your story is part of God's story, and it's much bigger than anything you could ever imagine. And when you find yourself in prison and you don't understand why Jesus isn't coming and slaying Herod in your life and setting you free, you need to remember that his story that he's writing in your life is so much bigger than your story. And his vision for your life is so much bigger than your vision for your life. But many times you won't know the story and the end of the story until the next life. And this is why Jesus said, that if he loses his life, we'll gain it. Because Jesus always takes us back to the core teaching of the gospel, that this life is all about the next life. There's some questions we get answered here. There's some questions we get answered there. But he says, trust me, this is part of something bigger. Blessed is the man or the woman who doesn't stumble over me. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word and just the power of your word. God it is so good. It is so strong. It is so rich. It's so life giving. God, I just love this. The power of your word, the violent kingdom, the violence that's required to enter, to die with you, to rise with you, the plan you have for us, the bigger kingdom. Bigger than we could ever imagine. The stories of our lives intertwined. This is the story that you're creating for all creation. God, as followers of Jesus, we pray you'd come and give us courage for this day and age we stand. That we would be those who stand for what is right and good and true. That we would not be ashamed. That we would stand up. That we would be honored when you return. That you would be proud of us. That we would be worthy of you. That we would make you our first love our deepest passion, our top priority, that we'd sell out our lives for you, we'd take up our cross, we would follow you, we'd be ruthless with our old lives. And in the process, we would rise with you to a hundred times in this life and the next life, eternal life. And God, in those times where we're going through prisons of not of our choosing or making, we pray that you would remind us the message of John. In those times of questioning, we would send messengers to you, we would ask you, and we would listen deeply As you remind us of where you've taken, what you've done in the past, that you're with us and what you're doing in our life now, that we would not give up hope, that we would not be offended by you, we would not stumble. And so, God, as we begin to worship now, as we sing about going out into those waters of life that are dangerous, that are scary, that are hard, those times we don't understand, we just pray that you would meet us and teach us to trust you without borders, that we would be a people whose faith is great, confidence is strong. Hope is real as we burn brightly for you. And we pray as you receive our worship, as you receive our offering, you use it to create a place of hope and courage and strength in the midst of a dark and dying world. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.